in a few moments. Put the slide, if you will, please. I'm going to bring you to a portion of Scripture. But I'm going to move right into the Word with a rich anointing of the Lord that's here. Do you know that God has a sweet spot place of blessings for all of us? Yeah. Do you, do you know that as we earthly parents delight to give good gifts to our children, even more than we all... <laughs> I'm getting ahead here. I thought that when my girls got up in years and got married and had their own income and their spouse had their income, that that would mean that I would have more for me. Huh, parents? And I don't mean to misrepresent our girls. It's not that they ask me for more. It's just that I want to give them more. You know, it's, it's, here we are. God has blessed us and, and, and we can be a blessing. And, and yet God says, you know, but just because you are being a blessing, I want to put you in the blessed zone. There's a blessed place that God wants all of us to live in that has something to do with M&M's. Have you ever taken a family outing to the county fair, to the ball game, to Six Flags over Georgia, and you got there and like most of these places, it usually requires additional funds after you get in than what it costs to get in. Have you been to these places where to buy a Coca-Cola is twice the price on the inside than the outside? The hot dog, same way. But there's something about being in that atmosphere with other people having peanuts and other people having frozen lemonade. That's all right. You're going out to eat a little bit. Uh, and and other, other kids having uh, candy. that makes your kid want to say, Daddy, can I? Uh, Mama, can I have some money for some candy? And you're thinking, it costs more, but this is their first time or their second. I want to bless them. And they go and, for example, they buy a package of M&M's. They come back and they tear it open and the aroma of the M&M's come out. And they're just tossing one or two in their mouth. And you think to yourself, you know what? I'd like to have some M&M's. And so you ask your child, can, can I have a few, honey? No, they're mine. <laughs> You're laughing because you yeah. you, it's been done to you. And when you were a child, you probably did it to your parent. Immediately, when you ask your child for a few M&M's and they say, no, they're mine, uh, you begin to think, my child is really missing the big picture here on several counts. Number one, she doesn't understand that if I want to, I could forcibly take those M&M's from her and eat every one myself while she's watching. (laughs) Number two, she doesn't understand that I was the one who actually brought the M&M's for her. She might have walked over to the counter, but it was my money who bought the M&M's. And number three, she doesn't understand that if I want to, I could buy her so many packs of M&M's that she could not possibly eat them all. The same realities apply to our lives as well. How can I make it contemporary? I'll say this. God has given all of us some M&M's. You could use one M for miracles. 
And you could use the other M for mercy. Yeah. I feel like, you know what? Yeah. yeah. God, when I, when I say the word M&M's, I'm using it figuratively. God has given all of us some blessings. Everybody say, I am blessed. I am blessed. And God looks at you and me and he says, I'd like some M&M's. Uh, would you give me some M&M's? I just want a few back. But many of us defiantly say, no, God, uh, no, they're mine. Now, when I was talking about somebody else's M&M's, y'all were shouting pretty good. Now I'm talking about yours and me. <laughs> Uh, like the experience with our children that I just described, uh, I think that many of us don't understand there are realities to life, three of which I have learned and I want to teach. Number one is, if God wanted to, He could take all our M&M's, parentheses, blessings, because He's much larger and stronger than we are. If He wanted to force something from us, He could do it. Another reality of life is that God is the one who gave us all the M&M's in the first place. I know you got sheepskin hanging in a frame in your office that says you graduated from so-and-so. Trophies and other expressions or, or, or tokens of your accomplishment in the business sector, in the athletic sector, in the sales sector. But I also know and understand that you and I didn't get our gifts and our talents and our abilities and our skills by our own doing. We didn't just wake up one day some years ago and decide to make ourselves. It's God who's given us these abilities and God who has given us the skills. And some excel in other areas. But the fact of the matter, everything we have or ever will have comes because God is good and the giver of all things. Here's a third reality, please. God could rain so many M&M's, blessings, on our lives that we wouldn't know what to do with it all. It's called the blessed zone. And I might add that living in the blessed zone can be described as the sweet spot of God's success. It is the blessed place where God wants all of us to live. I want to show you for our moments together this morning that God has given each of us a certain amount of resources, M&M's. And what we do with those resources relate directly to whether or not we live in the blessed zone or out of the blessed zone. We, 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 what we do with what God has given us determines whether we are zoned in or zoned out. There's a basketball phenomenon now known as... Jeremy Lin. Well, you could tell by looking at me, I'm a basketball person. <laughs> That's a lie. That would be all I want from that section. Uh, but but, but here, here's this person, and I asked, uh, I asked Mike Steigl to enlighten me on this because I prefer football and, and, and uh, boxing and stuff like that. But, but I, I like to know who's hot when. This guy, Jeremy Lin, now plays for the Knicks. It's a point guard, right? Go ahead and say yes and it'll make me think I know something. Well, I'm told that his first game in the NBA wasn't supposed to be so. He was called in because of an injury of another player. But he came on the court and that evening scored upwards into a large number of points. And he had his moment. And man, ever since that time, in the zone, what I'm talking about. If you're a golfer 
And, and you know, you recently be golf, uh, you like golf, but if you have maybe one or two, three pars in a row, you'd be considered in the zone. If you had one or two birdies in a row, you'd be considered in the zone. If you're in sales and your business has to do with sales and you're making one sale after the next sale and, and others around you may not be doing so well, you might be considered in the zone. I remember one night, this is years and years ago now, before we had children and all, my first got married and my father-in-law took me out fishing to West Point Lake. Me and his son uh, Chuck and then we, 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 and, and we went out and it was a, we went crappy fishing at night. Crappy, crappy, whatever. What, what is it? Huh? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> And you, you gotta, and, and you gotta use lights and all, okay? So you get out part of the lake, you get your tie up under a bridge, and you get these lights, and you, at least that's what I was taught, and you hang the lights over the bridge, and you gotta direct them, and you gotta be a certain depth in the water to get crappy or crappy or whatever, okay? Okay, fish, fish, that's what I say, fish. The kind of fish, okay? Man, I was there, and, and one guy was in the front of the boat, one guy was on the other side of the boat, I was on this side of the boat, and that was my night, Lewis. I was pulling in one after the next. We'd use his minners, and I was, I was, I, them other guys were struggling to find the depth, trying to find something. And the spirit of anointing of fishing was on me. I was pulling in that babies. In the zone. And I'm telling you that God wants us to be in his blessed zone. And I'm saying to you that one of the very tangible aspects of God's blessing is the fact that we each have stuff. And among the stuff we have, we have money. And we all have a bunch of M&M's. Some have a huge pile of M&M's. Others have a medium-sized pile of M&M's. Other people have a small pile of M&M's. But no matter how big our pile of M&M is, listen to this. Our management of what God has entrusted to us has tremendous implications on whether or not we are going to live in the blessed zone. Let me build on that. Let's think about this money management issue. Let's think about this uh, friction, this struggle between ownership and management. When we think we are the owners of our stuff, we are zoned out. We're not in the zone. I'll explain. When we realize that we are the managers and God truly owns it all, then we get into the receiving end of God's favor. Whether you know it or not, Listen to this. Money management has much to do with living in the sweet spot of God. The reason we talk about money management is because money represents who we are. Give me a witness here, somebody. I can know who you are if you give me access for just a few moments to your checking account and to your other accounts. And you can know who I am if you have access to mine. Because money says a lot about who we are. Can I get an amen by faith? What do you mean, Pastor? I mean that we spend a lot of our time making money, spending money, saving money, investing money. And for some people, they spend a lot of their time just wasting money. And so we have a question we have to answer about money and management and ownership and and those kind of things. Does your money manage you or do you manage your money? And we come to understand that because money represents so much of our lives... Money determines in a huge way whether we are living in the blessed zone or just simply zoned out. And what I am compelled by the Holy Spirit to share with you this morning is not so much about giving as much as it is about honoring God. You heard me, didn't you? The wisest man of his time was Solomon. The richest man of his time was Solomon. And Solomon left us these words in Proverbs 3 and 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits. Of your increase. 
Very simple, isn't it? If you and I don't understand biblical management of money, then we are not going to know what it means to honor God. And if we don't understand what it means to honor God, then we are not going to live in the blessed zone. So I think there's another question we need to ask. And that is, what is your money saying about your life? You see, what you do with your money, or God's money, is directly related to how many blessings you will or will not receive or experience in life. Write this down and remember it. God doesn't need your money as much as you need to give it because you need His favor and you need His blessings. Please, if you came to be changed today, you came to the right place. The Word of God will change us. God doesn't need our money as much as we need to give it because we need His favor and blessing. If I didn't give my tithe and offering today, God wouldn't go broke. I thought somebody said amen, but I'm going to keep struggling through this. Brother Merriman, I just saw you over there. I, need, I know I get one friend. I'm going to get some out of Jeff in a minute, but I see you there. Yeah. If I don't give my money to God, God won't have to have a bailout plan and somebody help him. If I don't give to God, God doesn't need healing. I can't give him healing. God doesn't need protection. I can't give him protection. God doesn't need any help from me. But what I know is God has tied in my blessings to my obedience. Did I get an amen? God has tied in his favor on my life and my wife and my family and my money based on my level of obedience to God. So that's where we come into Malachi chapter 3, which is the text for this morning. You might want to turn there. If you don't, then look on the screen. Malachi 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I I do not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Oh, look at this. And I will rebuke the devourer who is the devil and all his cohorts, all the demons and imps and, and everything of hell, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Give me an amen. Amen. The tithe means one-tenth. It's ten percent. Everybody say ten percent. And what I would have you understand from Scripture is that when the word tithe is used in the Bible, it refers to bringing the first ten percent. Now, we have in class here, so please indulge me if you think it's a little below you. Just help me out anyhow. Everybody say the first 10%. First 10%. You know why I go to all this trouble about doing PowerPoints and doing all this kind of stuff? It takes time. Honestly, I do my own PowerPoints. It takes a lot of time. Okay? And there's sometimes I don't. I don't want to do no PowerPoint. I just go ahead and yell. I find I can do both. But, but the reason I'm doing, I want it to be a teaching tool is why I asked you to say a, a moment ago, repetition helps us understand. What we see helps us remember the more just hearing it. 
When the Bible talks about the tithe, it talks about the first 10% of our income or our gain going back to God. That's why it says in Malachi 3 and 10, Bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. When you bring the tithe into the storehouse, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, there will be not enough room to contain it. The principle of tithing goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. So for those who argue, well, it was only in the time of the law, and now we're not on the law, I'm telling you the principle of the tithe existed long before the law of Moses. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, the Bible tells us that God told Adam and Eve to take care of the Garden of Eden. They were to manage it. They didn't own it. In verse 17, chapter 2, Genesis, the Bible says, God speaking, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Meaning... This one tree I'm going to keep for myself. You can enjoy the rest of paradise, but don't touch just one tree. You remember the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth in six days. Under the seventh day, He rested. Can I get an amen? amen? What was God doing? He was setting an example for us. Saying, work six day, days, but on the seventh day, rest. Set aside that one day for me. In the Ten Commandments, the law given... Moses was instructed to include in one of the Ten Commandments this thought. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Again, when Israel entered the promised land, there were many cities to be conquered. They would need the help of God to drive out the enemies because they were not people of a military past coming out of slavery. And God says, the first city you take, I want the first fruits of it. I want all the gold, I want all the silver, I want all the livestock, everything belongs to me. And every city that I give you after that, you can take it and disperse among all of you, you'll have it. But keep me first, I want the first fruits. Did you hear me? So, so what, what, what can we learn from that? The Lord was teaching us that we should set aside the best for God. <laughs> yes, that's an amen place. The best. So the last 10% is not the best. It's not the first fruit. After I pay my bills, after that's not the first fruit. We give the first fruit so we can get the other portion. The best, the best, the best. I remember on occasions growing up as a boy in Trinidad that we would have certain visitors from America as evangelists, missionaries, pastors coming to visit our church and they would stay in our house. And when they would come, my mother wanted to treat them the best. So she would bring out linens and, and dishes and other things that she didn't use on a regular day. You're nodding because some of you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. My mom and dad would vacate their bedroom, though small and, and, and you know, not very quaint. And they would sleep someplace else. And, yeah, on the floor. And give it to the guest. And sometimes, you know, ignorant little boy, not knowing mom's plans and all, I'd say, hey, mom, you, why you brought out these cloth napkins? We're... Shut up, boy. I know she's thinking it. She didn't say it. The best. And I understand that you got to, when you bring the best, you got to bring it in faith. It's the principle of the first fruit. You got to bring it in faith. Now, let, let me show you what the Bible says. So if I tell you anything that's of Alan Matura, you can reject it. But if I tell you from the word of God, you're responsible for it. Me too. Exodus 13 and 2, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. What God is saying here is the firstborn is His. 
God declared 16 times in the Bible that the firstborn is His. So under the system of sacrificial giving, meaning animal sacrifice of the Old Testament, every time someone's livestock delivered its firstborn, they were to either sacrifice it to God, or if it was unclean, they had to redeem it with a clean, spotless lamb. When the firstborn lamb of the flock came into the world, you didn't wait until the, your, you produced nine more lambs and give the Lord the next one. God says, give me the first one. Oh, yes. Because here's the, here's the miracle of it. It's God's plan. I don't know of a better plan. God's plan is the best plan. And here's the miracle of it. The first portion is packed with power. When the first portion is brought back to God, the rest is blessed. Oh, I need somebody to help me here this morning. <laughs> you take the first portion of your increase, which we are now in a monetary culture, not so much an agricultural. And on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first, we come to church on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, because we give the first portion of our week to God in a couple hours, and He blesses us with the rest of the week. First portion. You bring it in faith. You're saying, God, I'm bringing you the first fruit, and I know you're going to bless me the rest of the month. The missionary taught the villagers about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. After he taught them about salvation to Jesus, he said, now, after you get saved, you must become a disciple. You must follow Jesus. Well, how do we do that? Well, you must read your Bible. You must pray. You must go to church. You must get baptized in water. You must serve the Lord. You must share your faith. That's discipleship after you get saved. And you must also bring your tithe and offerings to the Lord. And it was foreign to those villagers. And so he said, your tithe and offering means one-tenth, the first fruit of what you, what you have. Teaching them that, and they're wanting to learn. On a particular day, there was a knock on his cottage door. And when he opened the cottage door, there was a lad there, maybe about 11 years old. And in one hand, he had a cane pole, fishing pole. And the other hand, he had a fish. And, and he said to the preacher, Preacher, here's my tithe. And the preacher said, It is, but you only have one fish. Where are the others? He said, you said to bring the first one. I'm going to go back to the river and catch the other nine. How many know that's kind of faith, huh? The same river I got this one. If I put God first, I'm liable to get two on the line at one try instead of one. Somebody ought to thank God that His Word never fails. Come on, give Him a praise. Okay, so, so what does the Bible say? Hasten, Alan. Okay, I will. The first, Exodus 23 and 19, look on the screen. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. And I'm saying all that to tell you that God wants you to live in the blessed zone. It means the last of your first fruits isn't acceptable. The portion that is acceptable is the first of the tenth. And then the Bible says you've got to bring it to the proper place. Malachi 3 and 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. The storehouse is your local church. It is. You bring the tithe there. If you want to give other offerings elsewhere, you give other offerings, but the tithe belongs, the 10% belongs to your local church. It's where you get fed. 
It's where your family gets blessed. It's where your young people get blessed. It's where we do ministry to the widows and the orphans. It's where we do ministry to people who need a pastor to help do a, a, a funeral service, or a pastor to help do a, a baby dedication, or a pastor to help dedicate a house, or a pastor to do a wedding. It's for where people need comfort and strength and occasionally need some financial or otherwise help. This is the local storehouse. Bring all the tithe in the storehouse and there may be meat in my house. Provision. God didn't give us permission to send our tithe to some tower out in Tulsa. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. yeah, you you send your tithe out to the Tulsa Tower, and when somebody dies, give them a call and say, I want you to come over. Yeah, I feel a Whoop! Yeah, that's what I felt. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? How people want to bounce from church to church and tip God. When they need come, oh my God, why have you failed me? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm going to tell you a little something else too. Are, are the doors locked, security? Okay. Okay. Don't come saying, I tithe 7%. I tithe 5%. That is not the tithe. The tithe is what? 10%. You give 5%. Or you might have give 7%. But the tithe is 10%. And God said, bring it into the storehouse. So it doesn't mean that if Aunt Jane is fixing to have surgery and needs some money, you can take God's tithe and give it to Aunt Jane. You don't bring it as much as we believe in Christian schools. You don't send your tithe to the Christian school. As much as we support missionaries here, we don't, you don't send your tithe to the missionary. You may send an offering, but the tithe belongs in the storehouse. No more than you will go out today and eat at Cracker Barrel and walk next door and pay Golden Corral for what you eat is acceptable. No more so can you come to this house Sunday after Sunday and let the glory of God touch your life and walk out of here giving your money to someplace else. I'm not mad. I'm just anointed. Isn't it amazing how you can spiritualize things? And then here's this question I get. Pastor, you know you're going to empty some chairs here preaching like that. I need some more room. That's pretty cocky, isn't it? No, I don't need any thieves and robbers coming to this church. That's what I'm saying. And I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm not trying to empty. I'm just telling you, we talk about how come God don't bless me with a new car? How come God don't help me get out of my my debt? How come God don't heal my body? Because what we do is we go out and we eat meals that we can't afford and give somebody 18% for a tip. And the average Christian in America give no more than 2.5% of their income. I'm telling you that we have a problem in the body of Christ. So if you get mad because we have a bake sale and because we hand people globe and say, go fill it. If you get mad because we have to have a singing here or a yard sale there or raise money for the kids to go to Winterfest. It's because the average Christian in America is supposed to give 10% to God because they love him, but they end up giving 2.5%. But they don't mind charging stuff on a credit card and paying 12 to 18%. Yeah. We have a problem in the body of Christ. Why don't God, why don't God know? It's not why don't God, it's why don't me, I. And then I have another question. If this don't rattle your cage, get ready. I'm not trying to be mad. I know, I know, I know some of you look at me and think, he's mighty small to be so cocky, isn't he? No, I, I, I just didn't come to play games here. 
God didn't say your Bible's going to be like the buffet at Golden Corral. You pick and choose what you want, leave the rest. God didn't say that. God says if you want to be in the blessed zone, you don't have a choice. But if I said it, do it. If I said leave it alone, leave it alone. I will bless obedience, God says. So, so we got people asking me all the time. Well, do I give, do I give tithe out of my gross before the taxes? Or do I give tithe off my net after taxes are taken out? I got a couple concerns there. Which one did God bless you with? Mm. Let me ask you something else. Try telling Uncle Sam, that would be the IRS, that I am not going to give you my taxes or percentage of my taxes until after I tithe. And we will have, we have this brother Aponte who has started a jail ministry. He will be seeing you there the first time you pull that on Uncle Sam. If Uncle Sam will tax us high percentage on our gross, doesn't God deserve the best far more than Uncle Sam? Whatever portion of your life you want blessed, and I trust you want your whole life blessed, that's where your obedience will flow from. Oh, <laughs> Here's Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I, I, I move with haste. So the issue here in this passage is about blessings or curses. Is that of or or? I got to correct that, isn't it? Blessings or curses. You remember when Joshua and the children of Israel went to fight the battle of Jericho, the first battle into possessing the land God had given them. You know the account, so I won't belabor it. But I will highlight that God gave Joshua strict instructions that the Israelites were not to keep any of the spoils from Jericho. God told him that all the spoils, all the cattle, all the livestock, all the gold, all the silver, everything precious belonged to God. It was God's. Jericho would be the first fruits of all the other cities that would be conquered later. Can I get an amen? God didn't say, conquer ten cities and give me the best or the spoils of the last one. God said, you conquer this city, this is the first one, you give me the best and I'll take care of the rest of the cities for you. There was a man among the Israelites whose name was Achan. You read about him in Joshua 7, Achan disrespected God. What do you mean, pastor? Achan decided in his mind, even though Joshua told us not to touch the blessed thing, which belongs to God, and stay away from the cursed thing, even though I know what God has said... About everything belonging to him. I think I'll just take some for myself. Nobody's looking. There's so much of it. And nobody will miss it. Disrespected God. Immediately upon taking what belonged to God for himself. Everything Achan took became cursed. Think about this now. When the spoils were given to God as he instructed. They were consecrated. They were blessed. But when Achan decided to take some for himself, it immediately became cursed. I'm hurrying. On the screen it says, the tithe, 10%, is consecrated to the Lord and the Lord's house because it is His. Which He deserves to get back what is His. But if we take it for ourselves, it becomes cursed because it's stolen. L listen to me now. Would you rather try to make it through life with 100% of your income that is cursed? Or would you rather try to make it through life with 90% of your income that's blessed by God? Pastor, that's pretty harsh. Where did you come up with that? I didn't make it up. The Bible says, will a man rob God? 
Yet you have robbed me. You have said, in what way have we robbed you, Lord? In tithe and offerings. Here's the, here is the tension between curses and blessings. You are cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Okay, here's another argument I want to dispel before I finish. It's amazing how people will try to take this Bible and twist it and turn it all kinds of ways to get out of obedience. I hear people say to me sometimes, well, tithing was an Old Testament practice. It's an old concept that doesn't apply today because we're living under the day of grace. And in the same chapter of Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says about God, I am the Lord, I do not change. So what we have again is another, is another struggle. It's a struggle of the old covenant versus the new covenant. And I need to tell you that tithing was under the law. Yes. But if we ever assume that tithing was under the law and now that we're under grace, we don't have to tithe. We do not understand the Bible and the teachings of Jesus. I need to tell you that before the law came into effect, given to Moses, that the system of tithing was already instituted by God. God told Abraham to take his firstborn son, his first fruit Isaac, and take him to Mount Moriah and sacrifice his son. Now you know the end of the story, he didn't have to kill his boy because God was really after Abraham's heart. But God was saying, I want to test that first fruit. You remember, can I get an amen? amen. On another occasion, Abraham had just won victory over some enemies that took into captivity his nephew Lot and the families, etc., When God gave Abraham and his small band of men victory over his enemies, Abraham took a tenth of the spoils and gave it to the high priest at that time, who was Melchizedek. And the Bible says that he tithed and gave to God. And just as Abraham gave one tenth, we in this New Testament generation are told to give one tenth to Christ because the book of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek, the same order that Abraham tied to. Amen? You you remember, and I need to move on. You remember the, the issue between Cain and Abel? You remember how eventually Cain and Abel, they were the first two brothers ever? The first sons of Adam and Eve. You remember when God called them to bring an offering. And the Bible says Abel, Abel brought of the first fruit of the fat of his herd. He was, a, he was a shepherd. And he got the best lamb and the best animal. And gave God the first fruit. And God blessed him. But you remember when Cain brought his offering? He just brought some fruit. Little fruit here and there. Well, I guess I got to go to church. I guess I better go. I guess I better stand up and sing it. Well, he has to stand up and sing it. I guess I better slip something in the basket. It'll look pretty good. I know I'm sort of animated, but I'll pay for it later on today. Thank you. God said to bless Abel, and Cain got so mad he killed his brother. And I sure hope you all ain't getting mad over this message. Where, where are my security people? It's amazing. But he was cursed. I, I, I need to hasten and tell you. Well, well l- let me show you this. And I'm going to try to wrap it up. Along with the tithe, there were many things under the law of Moses that continues to be principles of God's grace today. Okay, l- l- let me give you this. This argument of, well, now we're under the New Testament, New Covenant, and therefore we live by grace. We don't have to tithe. 
You miss it altogether. Jesus said, I didn't come to obliterate the law of Moses. I came to perfect it. Jesus said, you remember it was written under the law that thou shalt not kill? So now that we're under grace, is it alright to shoot and kill somebody who cuts you off in 285? We're under grace, preacher. Yeah. This man here is a deputy chief of the police department of College Park. You try that and he'll be seeing you in jail with his prayer ministry. Oh, but, but, but we're under Under the law! The law of Moses said, yeah, I know, I yelled. I'm trying to keep you awake. Uh, I'm trying to stay awake. Uh, under, under the law, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus came along and says, it's written, you shalt not commit. I'm telling you, if you look at another man's wife, another woman's husband with lustful eyes, you have committed adultery. The law says don't commit murder. Jesus said if you hold a grudge, it's like you've committed murder. He didn't come to a bliss. So, so, so this argument about now that I'm under grace, I don't have to. Listen, the righteousness of grace always exceeds the righteousness of the law. Because we've been blessed more because of grace. We then must respond more. He told the Pharisees who were trying to argue about giving. He said you should tithe and above tithing. Do all the other things you think you're so holy about. Help me here, sir, church. And again, I'm trying to tell you. If you want to live in the blessed zone, you got to be willing to say, God, if I trust you with my soul all the way from earth to heaven to escape the fires of hell, can't I trust you with money, mammon? Can I tell you something here? And I'm going to try to wrap this up and you know you won't believe it. I have done so many funerals. I did one this week. And not, I'm not going to call the name because I'm not trying to. But you know, I, and one of the honors that, that, you, that you have as a, as a pastor to be asked by a family to do a funeral. And another honor is if you know it is well with their soul. The funeral I did this week left Noonan all the way to Westview. Michelle, where are you? You hear me, Shola? So I was nearby. I went nearby the mausoleum where Anthony is entombed. And I thanked God for him, where your son is. But I went to that cemetery, the Westview in Atlanta, about 40 miles one way. And I, and I followed the hearse. Followed the hearse. You know when it's my time to get in line, the police goes first. Then the hearse, they never tell me wait because we got to hitch up the U-Haul. To the back of the hearse. Because these people are taking all their stuff with them. You didn't know I was going. Now you know. Huh? I have never seen anybody being taken to the graveyard with all their stuff. It's like the man who told his wife, I've been told you can't take it with you, but I'm going to try. When I die, you take all my money. I'm taking it with you. You put it in a large vase and put it up in the attic. And when my time comes to die, I'm taking it with me. We'll see. He died. She buried him. She had put it up in the attic. She went after the funeral service, looked up in the attic, and there it was still in the attic. And she said, you know what? I should have put it in the basement. He'll <laughs> take a minute. <laughs> Maybe he didn't go. He didn't go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tithing is where we remove the curse. 
I said, tithing is where we remove the curse. I am preaching on an anointing this morning that came first from God through my father. The anointing of my father converted from Hinduism. He's preaching this morning. He's probably finished because like any decent preacher, they'll finish before me. But I'm anointed. And I'm praying this anointing flows down to Jennifer and Kimberly and them. Because instead of me sending a curse to my family, I'm telling you, because I want, I want my family. The, the tithing, tithing is what brings the blessings on the balance of the finances. Tithing is what causes God to rebuke the devourer and open up the windows of heaven. I, I refrain to tell you stories because I think if I tell you stories, you'll think, well, if I do that, then I'll get this. But I can't resist by telling you that I spoke to a couple this week who recently transacted to buy their first home, a young couple. Tithers, givers. But along the way, God had challenged them to give more than your tithe. Give, start giving 11%. Start giving, start giving 12%. Come, my brother. Start giving 13%. They're buying their first house. They went into a particular house and they're looking for houses and it wasn't really what they wanted. But it... And, and the enemy said, you know what? They went to another house, find what, what they wanted. And the enemy says, well, if you cut back on your tithe, and you cut back on that, you know, ten is all, so why, why try to do more? If you cut back on that, you could afford this house. And the Holy Spirit says, no, you keep obeying me. They, they will close on that house tomorrow. But last week, because they said, we're going to keep giving 13%, last week... One of the spouses got a 10000 a year annual raise on their salary because they said, God gave us what we got. This... Bow your heads, please. Heads bowed. Pastor Matura, I'm not going to dress it up. I'm not going to try to make myself look better than I am, sir. God knows my heart, but he also knows... That I've been one of those that hadn't been as faithful here. I picked it up, put it down, the tithing and giving. I've obeyed and not obeyed. And I've often wondered why God hasn't come around on some things in my life. But I've heard the word of the Lord today. And I want the Lord to help me in this area. Heads bowed and eyes closed. This is a private matter. If that would be you, say, Pastor, as you close in this prayer, I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have you come to the altar. I'm not going to single you out. This is a matter between you and God. But I'm asking you to respond so that I, as your covering, by God's permission, can know to pray for you. Pastor, I need to be more obedient here, consistent and faithful. If that would be you, raise your hands where you're seated. seated. Hold them up. Thank you. Numbers, thank you. Nobody looking. This is God's business and yours. You may put them down. With your, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, l- l- listen to me. If you're going to tithe and give, that's wonderful. But if you had not given your heart to God, you're missing everything. Tithing and giving will not get you to heaven if you're not born again. Putting money in the plate will not get you to heaven. You, you see, giving has to be proportionate. But we know that 10% is what he asked. But like the, like the widow in the New Testament, she gave her last bit of change. And Jesus testified of her generosity because she was obedient. And certainly, he would take care of her. But here's my point. You need salvation. 
tithing won't get you to heaven if you're living like the devil other times. And, 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 and I'm not trying to be unkind, but you say, Pastor, I need my heart right with God. I need to serve Him like I should. And so pray for me. Would that be you? Raise your hands. Thank you. Hold it up. Just Okay. Put them down. And Lord, I thank you today for your favor upon us. I pray today, Lord, mm, for this matter not to be an issue of argumentation and fussing. There are some things, God, that we have to pray about to know your will. This is not one of them. We don't have to pray about whether we should tithe or not. It is the instruction of God confirmed through Jesus. And, oh God, I know we're living under this deception of the devil that if I give this to God, I won't have enough for me. But I thank you, God, that the righteous has never been forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And for everybody who raised their hands and those who should have, I pray, oh God, in Jesus' name, that you would rearrange our priorities. Can I get an amen? Rearrange our passions. Do not let us make money an idol. Do not let us become a slave to money. Let us not seek to be owners, but let us seek to be managers, O God. And and we understand, O God, that you want us to be the head and not the tail. You want us to be the lenders and not the borrowers. You want us to live in the sweet spot and the blessed zone. I rebuke the curses of the people of God because of financial limitations. Can I get an amen? I rebuke the curses of Satan. And I pray that as we tithe and give, that you would bless us good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Amen? Amen. Stand please, everybody. Oh, praise God. Now clap real loud and thank God that God's Word is alive. Come on, give Him thanks. That His Word is alive. Come on, help me praise Him. Help me praise the Lord. Yes, God. Yes, yes, yes. Now, now here, here's this. Listen to me. The world makes it possible to get your money all kinds of ways. To get your money for stuff that you got to have today and by next month, you wish you didn't buy it. You hear me. I know that folks don't go with their checkbooks to church anymore. They don't go with cash. But just like you use the means to get what you want out there in the world through cards or through email or through online giving or buying. I got this grandson now and he is the joy of our life and all grandparents say amen. And sometimes Valerie's on her iPad on that couch, and I'm over here laying down on this couch, and I'm thinking, what's got her so intrigued? And the next thing I know, Matt, is she's ordering something for Lakeland on the iPad. I'm thinking, I got to watch that woman. We got an economy, uh, a management system in my house. She got her own checking account, own money, and then we got ours. <laughs> And what I'm saying to you is, listen, don't wait till tomorrow. I I hear preachers saying, well, and I wrestle with this. I thought you were going to let us go. Yeah, I didn't say when. Well, start with 2% if you can't do 10. Practice for a month. I'm not telling you that. That ain't what the Bible said. Trust God is what I'm telling you. If God's ever been good to you, 
Lift up your hands. Give him about a minute of thanks and praise all over his house. Sing, my brother, as they praise him. Come on, lift up your hand. Thank God that you got, you, you got salvation. You got healing. Come on, somebody help me worship him.